one of the big appeals of this podcast is that like we don't even like each other a little bit we are not friends at all we're actually enemies we are blood enemies (laughs) screaming about books at each other uh (laughs) this is why every book i like you hate and every book you hate you like i hate (laughs) and rarely every now and then we find a book that we both like and then we won't admit it because that would be agreeing with each other. We don't do that. <laughs> no, like I fucking hate you. I know. Oh, it's mutual. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Young Adult Adult Reviews, where two youngish adults review books meant for much younger adults. Or children. <laughs> I'm Honor. And I'm Chloe, and this week we are discussing These Violent Delights and Our Violent Ends by Chloe Gong. And if you haven't read it yet, here's the spoiler warning. I mean, but who doesn't know how Romeo and Juliet ends? (gasps) That's right, it's a retelling! (laughs) Enter the the, the fog We do have content warnings for, get this, violence! not like it's in the title or anything there's flowers on the front there can't be violence there's also a knife and a lighter i don't understand there's flowers anyway let's get into the summer <laughs> two gangs both alike in dignity in 1926 shanghai where we set our scene the scarlet gang run by the kai family and the white flowers run by the montagoves rule shanghai but as nationalist and communist tensions rise the city feels like a ticking time bomb Juliet Kai is back from a four-year stint in New York and ready for some action. Unfortunately, her father has her making business dealings with a British guy named Walter Dexter instead. At a Scarlet Burlesque Club with her cousins Rosalind and Kathleen, she encounters Roma Montagov, her lover-turned-enemy after he blew up her family's servant house four years ago, killing her beloved nurse. He did this in the name of pleasing his father and winning the favor over Dmitry Voronin, second favorite for the White Flower heir. Roma comes to tell Juliet about a monster on the loose, unleashing a madness that causes people to rip out their own throats. It attacks both the Scarlets and the White Flowers, seemingly without any reason or discrimination. At the club, a member of the Scarlet Gang dies in front of them from this madness, and both Juliet and Roma launch their investigations separately. Roma's cousin Benedict and their friend Marshall discover some insects down at the docks where the monster was sighted. Taking the sample to Dr. Lawrence, they realize it functions as a kind of hive mind when one dies, so do the others. At a ball, Roma approaches Juliet and asks for a meeting between the Montagos and the Kais to discuss what to do about this madness, which is quickly ripping through Shanghai. Juliet tells him no way, but then the party itself falls victim. So Juliet agrees. Roma's younger sister, Alyssa, encounters someone infected by the madness. At the meeting between the Montagovs and the Kais, tensions run high between Tyler, Juliet's hot-headed cousin, and Mercutio, I mean Marshall, when Alyssa falls ill and must be put into a comatose state until a cure is found. Roma and Juliet join forces in the name of protecting their city and saving Alyssa. Investigating the secretary general of the Communist Party, Zhang Gutai, at his place of work in the city's newspaper, they end up getting nothing. So, they turn to his place of residence instead, where they encounter his personal assistant, Chi Ren. They learn of a vaccine being distributed by someone known as the Larkspur, the number one ingredient? The drug that Walter Dexter was trying to peddle to the Kai family. Juliet agrees to a meeting with Dexter's son, Paul, to investigate some more. In a briefcase, she finds some confirmation of a delivery signed by a man named Archibald Welch. 
After asking her cousin Kathleen to do some digging, they find him in a bar called Mantua. During a drinking game to get information on the Larkspur, Juliet and Roma get absolutely shoisted, just in time for a police raid. They hide up in a prostitute's room and make out, talking about their feelings over what happened four years ago. Roma says something dumb, though, and Juliet leaves in a rage. Relatable. <laughs> Meeting the Larkspur to demand information on the vaccine, Juliet and Roma steal a vial and learn that Song Gutai is the monster. He made the vaccine using information he gave to him. Juliet recruits Roma, Kathleen, Benedict, and Marshall to kill Jean Gutai as revolution marches through the streets and waves of the madness break out in droves. But after Juliet kills Jean Gutai, the madness remains. He was not the monster, but Roma proclaims his undying love for her anyway. Going to his place of residence, Juliet and Roma find Paul Dexter, who inoculates Juliet, proclaiming his love for her. She quickly susses him out as the Larkspur. He comes to Shanghai from Britain with his parasites in hopes of quashing the communist regime, spreading it first to Zhang Gutai. Instead, he got his assistant, Chi Ren. In a confrontation down at the docks, Juliet kills Paul and Chi Ren, but knows she must quickly go to the hospital to save Alyssa before the Scarlets can get to her. Tyler intercepts Roma, Juliet, Benedict, and Marshall at the hospital, wounding Marshall. In the name of sacrifice and to protect her street cred, Juliet kills Marshall to let everyone else run free. Everyone, like, hates her now. Turns out, Juliet faked his death, Juliet style. He's living in a safe house not too far away. But she receives word of one last threat to unleash madness upon Shanghai, a dying wish from Paul Dexter. Second book. In the four months since the madness first broke out, Juliet has had to keep Roma at bay to protect him and herself. Still unaware of the ruse of Marshall's death, he strongly dislikes her. The Scarlets and the White Flowers have been getting blackmailed with threats to unleash controlled doses of the madness if they don't pay up. Lord Kai and Lord Montagov ask Juliet and Roma to work together. They do so, begrudgingly. Searches for the blackmailer come up empty, so they do the next best thing and search for a remaining vaccine in the countryside, during which time they are attacked by a Frenchman white flower who turns into a monster and they share a night in a brothel. Again. Returning home, Juliet gives the vaccine and notes she bought from Walter Dexter about Paul's work to Tyler to see if he can reverse engineer a vaccine. She'd like to give it to everyone for free, but Tyler and her father only want to give it to Scarlet's. Everyone else must pay. Benedict, still in mourning over losing Marshall, realizes he loved him and goes after Juliet to kill her. To save her life, Juliet reveals that Marshall is still alive and proves it. Meanwhile, Tyler kidnaps Alyssa and challenges Roma to a duel to get her back. At the duel, Juliet kills Tyler and all his men, cursing him for making her choose someone she loved over family. Rosalind is outed as a spy for the White Flowers, and after that, it doesn't take much longer for Juliet to realize she has a tryst with Dmitri Baronin, who led a sect of the White Flowers loyal to communists. Kathleen, tired of denying herself, chooses to go by Celia, her chosen name instead of the name of her dead sister. She joins the communists in their revolution. Revolution takes its hold of the city, led by the workers through the streets. Allied with the nationalists, the Scarlet Gang puts a kill order out on communists and the Montagovs alike. Juliet spreads fake news of her death in order to buy enough time for her and her friends to escape Shanghai. She marries Roma in secret, and Benedict goes to save Marshall, who is, by the way, General Shu's bastard son. Intercepted in their escape the docks, Marshall and Alyssa are kidnapped. Juliet is dragged kicking and screaming back home where she is disowned. She joins back up with Roma and Benedict, making one last plan. Taking a stand in front of Dimitri, Juliet and Roma trade themselves for Marshall and Alyssa. 
They ignite the gasoline in the highly flammable vaccine as madness sets in around them, quashing Dimitri's revolution where it stands and quite literally going out in a blaze of glory. Or did they? Years later, Celia and Alyssa, now communist spies, visit the countryside to honor Roma and Juliet, who united Shanghai under their dare to dream. Alyssa thinks she sees some familiar faces, a couple smiling and laughing in a boat, but she chooses to let it lie. And as such, these violent delights have found their violent ends. Chloe, what did you think? Oh my god, I'm so glad you asked, Honor. These books were fucking amazing. Oh (laughs) my god. The complexity, the drama, the intrigue, the many, many layers, the incredible research that went into writing these. I ate that shit up. What the did development you think? of the, the development, the realism of the story, even though there were monsters. No, the, I mean, come on. The perfect melding of a literary reinterpretation and historical fiction. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't get enough. And beautifully meshed with all of the different worlds. Like you've got all of the the Shanghai residents. You've got the different families. The all of the foreigners. I'm like, it was just beautifully put together very realistic even with monsters I I loved it I thought it was fantastic and this is coming from someone who's not necessarily a Shakespeare fanatic so the fact that you also think that I mean that's that's big science right there no right like I don't even think (laughs) that you have to like Shakespeare necessarily to enjoy these things which I'm of the firm belief that if you don't like Shakespeare then you must be coming at it wrong Because I think that, and hear me out, hear me out. What makes Shakespeare so great is the ability to rehash symptoms of the human condition again and again and again in a million different circumstances. And they stand true through time because they are so quintessential to what it means to be human, you know? No, no, I agree because over the years, how many different retellings and variations of his stories are there? I mean, it's quite literally been 600 years since these exactly plays were everything written. can be based down in a certain way to something that he has written, and it is still these stories like still ring true today. So I think if you don't like Shakespeare, it must just be because of an intimidation of the language because these books read like a Shakespeare <laughs> play, just in the fact that it was so wonderful, wonderfully drawn to the text and. Kind of like this interpretation, because another another misconception, which we were briefly talking about, is that when you see like a production of Romeo and Juliet, it has to be like this boring set in Verona interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. No, that's not how Shakespeare has to be. In fact, that's not how it should be. He would probably fucking hate that shit if he were alive today. Shakespeare is about innovation and constantly trying to see how you can restage this, because the beauty of Shakespeare is how many different situations can you rehash the themes in for them to still be relevant today? You know? And that's why I fucking love Shakespeare. And Miss Chloe Gong understands that. <laughs> this has been Chloe on Chloe. <laughs> I can't word Chloe that better Chloe. myself. So <laughs> that's this is Chloe and Chloe literary, literary discussion, uh, literary <laughs> co- collaboration. Oh, oh. <laughs> Chloe, hit us up. <laughs> Miss Gong, you liked my comment on one of your TikToks once. Uh, <laughs> Chloe, this Chloe, my Chloe, is a huge fan of yours. So she I kind am, of it's true. And I'm <laughs> eating this shit up, quite literally out of the palm of your hand. I don't know. I just think 
that if you don't like Shakespeare, you had a shitty fucking teacher that taught it wrong mm-hmm. and ruined your love of it. Because if you look at the bare bones of it, there's drama, there's intrigue, there's everything that these books have right there in the in the text. This is all, well, I don't want to say this is all derived from the text because it's also very much derived from uh, historical <laughs> relevancies and... Mm-hmm. Especially especially in terms of the theming and how colonization affected the political climate in Shanghai and how that kind of worked in synchronicity with the tensions building due to the nationalist and communist conflicts. Uh, it's rooted in the text is what I'm trying to say, you know? Yes, I just I think it's brilliantly done. And I want to say, you know, we're giving a lot of credit to the fact that this is just a Shakespeare retelling, but... Not only is it good because of that, it's good because of Miss Gong herself. I mean, you can really tell she she's an English major, or I think she just graduated. She just graduated. I think um, she's a, but she she's was in, actually, yeah. Yeah, she was in her degree when she wrote both of these books. And I think it really shines through just how much thought and development was put through of her own work within Shakespeare's original idea. Because not only did she take Shakespeare's play but she made it her own and that is the point of Shakespeare and (laughs) it is there that that love just like grows and is fostered but like while we're talking about Ms. Gong and I will be referring to her as Ms. Gong to uh not (laughs) she has earned earned that respect we love her (laughs) well respect and also just confusion confusion because my name is also Chloe so I wanted to be consistent that's very fair um Book deal at 19, published at 21, New York Times bestseller before she even graduated college. How cool can you be? It's phenomenal. And she earned that. She proved that she earned that. Like the clear like craftsmanship and love that went into cultivating this story is so incredible. And the amount of research that she did to make sure that this was accurate. It's in the author's note at the end of Our Violent Ends, where mm-hmm. she talks about the communist rebellion and like how the events described in the book correlate to events that happened in real life. Mm-hmm. And I just so she did that attention to detail. She did her research, but she also based it on her own experiences and her own understandings of the world and just the depth that she went into for the characters and the relationships between each other and the understandings of why everything is facing the way that it's going is just, it's phenomenal. It's really well done. It's so vastly layered that it's, it's hard to pick apart everything, all of the details. You, I feel like this is a book that you have to read a couple times over to really understand all the different nuances. No, oh my God. Like these books are dense. Don't get me fucking wrong. I think they're both just shy of 500 pages. I don't know the word count. I didn't look up the word count, Uh, but I would easily put these at like a hundred thousand, wouldn't you? Dude, I don't, I don't do word counts. That's two things. Maybe more. I do (laughs) word counts. Oh, she talked about it on, in an interview. The current word count is 120,000 words. So it is quite a long book especially for the YA genre but Chloe Gong has some thoughts on the YA genre as she talks about in the author's note of these violent delights I love reading the author's notes especially like now that I'm older because like when I was younger I was like whatever the story's done I'm done but now I just like appreciate the work that goes into it and I want to know what is going on inside their heads you know Mm -hmm. I'm like let me in there what are you thinking that said I do think that these stories break the mold on the YA genre in a multitude of different ways that are all equally wonderful as the last. So we have the word count, of course, right? (laughs) While I was reading 
these books. Yes, they are dense, but I found myself taking my time with it to absorb the complexity of the text and the complexity of the theming in the text. Mm -hmm. I think that a flaw that a lot of young adult books have is that they kind of package up their morals into bite-sized bits that are easy for the audience to digest, where it's like justice good, uh, killing bad kind of thing, where it's these kind of really sanitized ideas that don't really delve into the complexity of many issues. Like even books that are like, oh, morally gray, don't really reach the level, I guess, that I think Chloe Gong was trying to achieve in these books. And I think that she successfully achieved it. Well, and I think that's a, a really interesting take because that stems towards the readers and the age of the readers and what the writers think that the readers can handle and can understand. I feel like the YA genre started very much towards like younger YA range, age mm -hmm. range. Like it, it was very much geared towards the like 10 to 15 age range versus I feel nowadays a lot of the YA books that are coming out are starting to gear towards an older YA range. And that's just how I personally feel. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that the way that Miss Gong wrote this, it's, it's an interesting take on how you can have such deep themes and so many different layers to the story and the morals and, and you know, what is important, what you're trying to get across to your audience while still having it in a bite-sizable way for your younger YA readers to understand it and enjoy it. And maybe they aren't going to be looking through it for all of the depth because, you know, they're just coming out of children's books or they're, you know, used to the older YA books that are geared towards the simple morals. But I, I think this gives an opportunity for them to grow into more complex understandings of books and the themings of them that leads towards an appreciation for older works and works geared towards adults as they start to grow into things like that, you know? Exactly. And like on that note, where a lot of like YA has these very simplified themes, I guess, it, it got me thinking like as I was reading these books, that is very much not how they're learning to dissect and analyze themes of literature in school. Because mm -hmm. if you if you like to read, well, I don't I don't want to make too many broad sweeping generalizations, but I know a lot of people that are like kind of bookish tend to be good students mm -hmm. and they tend to like really enjoy school. English might be your favorite subject. Therefore, you might go into your English class eagerly analyzing these texts that are given to you. And I know some people like have this thing where it's like I will read anything as long as it's not for school. But I was reading this book and I was like this has the theming of like a book that I would have read in like my AP lit class in high school. Mm -hmm. This has something that I would have dissected and picked apart in a Socratic seminar with my classmates, you know, where it's like, I think that the author is saying this or the character acts like this in regards to this theme. And it would be a great thing to read alongside Romeo and Juliet as you study it, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just my two cents. But no, um, I agree with that. But that's that's one of the things I'm saying is that, you know, a lot of these YA books that are, are shown for these bite-sized moral ideas or here's, they're, they're putting right in your face, here's the whole point of this story, you know. They don't give the audience enough credit to think for themselves and absorb what the theme means. And I feel like there's a lot of adults that kind of disregard just how intelligent 
kids and teenagers are just mm-hmm. how much depth that they can put into their reading if they want to and I think that this book gives the option to if you want to but it's not a requirement I totally agree but the gamble that you run and why it's such a risk is because media literacy is dead and dying and I do believe that it started with that blue curtains post on tumblr.com do you know what I'm talking about I do not okay so for our audience members that also might not know, there was a post on Tumblr.com in like 2012, 2013, like prime Tumblr era. And basically this one person was like, why does the author always have to fucking mean something? The curtains aren't blue because he's sad. The curtains are blue because they're fucking blue. And it's like, yes, this is true sometimes, but absolutely sometimes. not all the time. People took that post and they ran with it. And they're like, it's always the curtains are just blue because they're fucking blue. And they never bother to read into it too much. And I think that has a mm-hmm. lot to do with how young adult books kind of package up the themes and present it to their audiences without pretense. But these books really trust the intelligence of the audience that they are being read by. And I think that's a wonderful thing because it leaves you to draw the conclusions on your own. For example, really like the only solid bad guy in this is I would say the colonist. Because like, of course, in the first one, the monster was a colonizer the whole fucking time. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, uh, it's, it's this constant theme like throughout the books where Juliet is ruining the fact that Shanghai has become this stomping ground for colonizers who are looking for a place of debauchery and how Chinese people are not even allowed to go where they please in their own country because white people have taken it over. That is like a consistent thing. But then we have this kind of branching of paths between Celia and Rosalind at the end of the second book where Celia becomes a spy for the communists and Rosalind becomes one of the head honchos in the nationalist army, right? So Mm -hmm. we have these characters that are kind of like taking different paths and they're not necessarily bad guys. They're just characters that have kind of like fallen by the wayside with each other, I guess. And I don't know. I'm just so excited to see where she goes with this because I don't know if you knew this. Foul Lady Fortune, yes, is her next book. It comes out September 27th of this year and it is a retelling of Shakespeare's As You Like It. And she has been planting the seeds for that in these books especially with Rosalind and Celia, who are sisters in As You Like It. And that is going to pick up right where this left off, kind of. So I'm kind of excited to see how she continues to explore these themes in this literary universe that she's creating of Shakespeare interpretations. I think it's really interesting how well she's interwoven this story to have such a broad opening for more of the Shakespeare and her interpretation works to intersect together. Oh, I'm waiting for Hamlet. I'm so excited for Hamlet. (laughs) Taming of the Shrew, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, <laughs> honors in a fucking 10 Things I Hate About You obsession right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a retelling show. of Taming of the Shrew. And she was like, really? I was like, I was like, what? I literally added Taming of the Shrew to my book list to buy later because I need to read it now because I liked the movie that much. <laughs> Girl, just get the complete works of William Shakespeare while you're at it. They're all bangers. Okay. <laughs> fine you got me I'll do it but no I I think it's gonna be so good and I also like how open and broad the ending was so that you can create your own interpretation for it and I think that because of how well she set everything up that she's not going to end up kind of ruining that by later having them like guest star in another book or anything like that Mm -hmm. and I just that makes me so happy because I I really dislike when broad like you choose your own ending is set up and then in later things the authors like make it very clear what happened and you're like come on you know 
No, right. I choose to believe Juliet and Roma made it out. Although, <laughs> frankly, I, I don't see how it happened. <laughs> Juliet did say something like, we'll have to be quick before she fucking dropped the lighter and exploded everything. Right. And they were like, the bodies evaporated because they were so close <laughs> to the heat. And it's like, no body, no death. Okay. We're on K-drama rules here. No, literally. Because, okay, I have a couple I have a couple things about this because I've, I've been wanting to get into it. Mm-hmm. So first off, for the reasons that they could be dead, they were coated in gasoline. The entire square was coated in gasoline. That stuff doesn't give you a, oh, you got to be quick to get away, okay? Like you're- you, you throw a you match, you're fire. done. You're done for. that. And the whole square being coated in that, like, that is so hot. Like, there's no one surviving that. Mm-hmm. Frankly, other than the monsters, no, one's, uh, no one should have been left with anything. They moved over. to the countryside. Like- <laughs> they went to a farm upstate. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, but my second thing for, for how they could have escaped is like no one's going to throw a match at their own feet to be incinerated that close to the initial ignition point okay no one is going to throw themselves that close to the fire that's all i'm saying you know Um, but they did but that's what that's what the like oh there's no bodies because they were the closest to the initial point of the fire and it's like okay who throws the match at their own feet they they literally stated that they were throwing it to like away from them towards the pile of, of the stuff and to dexter and everything and mm-hmm. so that would give them a distance from the initial point for their to be bones if Dexter had anything left you mean over. Dimitri? Like if they could, yes, Dimitri. <laughs> I'm so sorry. If there was anything left of Dimitri and they threw the match towards Dimitri, then there should have been something left of them. Am I wrong? No. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> I have something else I want to say about the, <laughs> the voice of <laughs> the you- author. I noticed something when I was reading the books and it threw me off so much. I was like, I kind of like blinked at the page for a few seconds and I was like, is this like a mistake or have I been spaced out so much that I didn't even fucking notice this? Like, obviously this book kind of like hops around uh, between points of view and perspectives, like as you might in a play, like people walk on stage, people walk off stage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And whenever it is like in the point of view of a character and kind of like that third person omniscient point of view, it speaks in past tense. Uh, But whenever it is kind of like the point of view of the author and what she is trying to say, it speaks in present tense. And I noticed this and I was like, holy shit, she's a fucking genius. If, if I am correct about this, if I am correct about what the author is trying to say, it kind of like draws you closer to the present and makes you connect these themes closer to your own life. And it's kind of like this thing where they do this in theater. It's called Brechtian theater, which he stole from the Chinese, but that's like a whole different thing. They make the audience think about the story and how it pertains to them. And I think that Chloe Gong is trying to do this when she writes in present tense, t- stating the actual themes of the book, because... I think it's important to remember Juliet and Roma are unreliable narrators because they are trying Mm -hmm. to, for a long time in the book, especially Juliet, they are trying to keep their gangs in power. But there is this part in the first book, and this was the first part that this was the first point that I noticed this, uh, where it's kind of like observing everyone in this really detached point of view as they're on top of the roof about to assassinate Zhang Gutai. It's talking about how like Shanghai is about to explode kind of thing. And they think that they're right, but they're not kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And I think that's like the point where I kind of like was looking at this book and I was like, holy shit. Cause I was like, yeah. Cause like gang activity isn't, isn't the greatest. Right. <laughs> and that's where she acknowledges that she's like, these characters aren't in the right just cause they're the main characters. 
you know? And yeah. I think that that is the point where it tells the audience to just kind of like consider everything, you know, consider every side of the story. See, I think that's so interesting because I didn't pick up on the tense change, but I did pick up on like, this is the point you're getting across, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's so interesting. Now I feel like I need to reread it again just to pick that up. <laughs> no, because the first th time I noticed it, I like blinked at the page and I was like, was this whole book in present tense? And I just hadn't noticed <laughs> because when something is in present tense, I notice. Right. Because uh, I, I, I catalog it in my brain because between you and me, I much prefer a past tense point of view. Uh, so when it shifted to present tense, I was like, tense. hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> like, what just happened here? Hit um, the brakes. And I don't know if I've ever seen like a tense change to denote kind of this like omniscient point of view and to start speaking as the author. Fucking it's ingenious. Such, it's such an, yeah, it's such an interesting way to like get your point across. Know, That's right? crazy. Anyway, I would have thought really to do that. that. You want to talk about uh, character parallels between the play and the books? Sure, but I read the play, I don't know how many years ago, so like seventh grade. You didn't pull up No Fear Shakespeare? No, I was busy reading your book, so. <laughs> anyway, so obviously we have Romeo and Juliet, and they are like- I liked that she kept the ages at a good, <laughs> yeah, at she's a good like age. <laughs> She's like, they were together when they were 15, but it ended badly. And they had to get right. back together when they were old. Which, like, I appreciate that. Uh, no, that they I appreciate weren't, like, literal so children getting married. Also, the fact that, like, they didn't let all the bad, you know, death decisions happen at that age. Because it's not, not good. <laughs> right. <laughs> not um, great to tell your audience, yeah, this is okay. I really enjoyed, like, seeing these characters, like, come on to the page and, like, be introduced. And I was like... Tyler walked on and I was like, Tybalt. I was like, oh, you're going to be an asshole and I'm going to hate you. <laughs> because everyone fucking hates Tybalt. I mean, who likes Tybalt? I do like how she kind of like tried to give him some redeeming qualities, which like, of course, Shakespeare did in the actual play where Tybalt is very much like, honor my family. I am going to like fight for my family to the end. I'm going to honor this blood feud. And she kind of like transfers that over pretty nicely. Which I think is so interesting because I think the only reason that we dislike him so strongly is because we see it from Juliet's point of view where she sees how wrong it is and that he's trying to overtake her and all of these things. But if we saw it from his point of view, we would see how wrong she is. Well, yeah, because it's so much fun. <laughs> Tyler, and I think Tybalt in the actual play as well, very much views the world in this sense of black and white. And she does a wonderful, wonderful job of conveying that in this adaptation. Um, but that said, whenever characters entered the page, I also knew what was coming. Uh, so when Mercutio and Benvolio strolled onto the page under the names Marshall and Benedict, I was like, oh, fuck. Then she went the route of they're in love, which is a very common interpretation of the play. I was like, oh, fuck, because I knew that Mercutio died. <laughs> and so every time, I think there were like three times in the first book where Tyler and Marshall aimed their guns at each other. And I was like, so fucking scared. I was like, this is where it's going to happen. This is where he's going to fucking kill him. And it never happened. And then Juliet shot him. And I was like, fuck. I was like, what a way to turn it on its head. And then of course, like she ended up pulling a Juliet because everyone loves Mercutio and Benvolio. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves them. You can't you hate can't them. You can't have Mercutio's, the lovers die. Mercutio makes the sex jokes. You can't hate him. <laughs> Knowing what was going to happen when they came onto the page just by drawing those parallels with their names, 
but also kind of being pleasantly surprised with what happened. Because in the play, quick refresher, Tybalt kills Mercutio and Romeo kills Tybalt in retaliation. Um, because he fears that his love for Ju Juliet has made him, I believe the exact term is effeminate, uh, but I think it's more correct to just say soft. Uh, <laughs> I believe he does say effeminate. I'm not, I'm not joking. He's like, this has made, it, my love for Juliet has made me more, more womanly. Uh, and like, you know, but I love really that. love this adaptation because it gives Juliet so much agency in that she is the one to, to quote unquote kill Mercutio. And she is the one to kill Tybalt because uh, every time you think it's going to be the people who are supposed to do it, but every time it's Juliet, she is always the one that kind of like steps <laughs> in and subverts expectations. But she is also the one that makes the decision for Roma where she's like, my love for him is making him soft. I have to separate us. And she mm -hmm. also makes that decision for herself on the same grounds where my love for Roma is making me soft and I am going to lose my reputation as a cutthroat, cold-blooded killer, heiress to the Scarlet Gang, you know? I just Can't love how much agency the story gives Juliet as opposed to the original text. I agree with you. Not that I refresh myself, but it is a good change. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then like, again, this like, is the idea of staging Shakespeare because the beauty of theater, let me get back on my theater soapbox. I majored in theater. I'm sorry. I'm Wait. sorry I majored in theater. The beauty of theater is that it's different every time, right? But I think the good thing that this adaptation has because of the fact that Juliet, she took all of the action on herself. It showed all of the discourse that was going through her on the fact that she had to make those decisions that she chose to kill her own cousin that she chose to turn Roma against herself that she chose all of these things and then she's the one who has to live with the emotional turmoil because of that decision that she made exactly and kind of like that thing where it's like you're adapting text to text instead of text to stage it's kind of hard to make that leap because something that theater has that books don't is staging and depending on how you stage something and how you phrase a line, it can totally change the power balance in the stage or in, in the scene. Like someone upstage has less agency than someone downstage. Someone on stage right has more agency than someone on stage left, you know, mm -hmm. because that is the way that we read. That is the way that we view things. This interpretation is truly beautiful. I don't know. I just, I, I can't stop gushing about it. I'm thinking about it. And it's just like such a familiarity with the text and the theming had to have been accomplished in order to write the story. And that's not even to speak of the historical research. Anyway, I'm just really glad that she also made <laughs> uh, Benedict and Marshall gay because- No, because they were so cute and Marshall was my favorite character. And I was like, please let him go back. And then she did. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I fully believe that Shakespeare plays are a million times more gay than anyone ever wants to give them credit for, or at least like in olden times because of Anglo-Saxon. Uh, are you, are you saying Shakespeare's wrist was not straight? <laughs> Shakespeare was absolutely gay. Most of his sonnets, I believe, were written about a man. <laughs> at least that's a very common interpretation of them. I don't know. He lived 600 years ago, so who can prove anything? But yeah. I believe in you, Will. Happy Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Pride Month. <laughs> Speaking of pride, let's talk about trans rep in this book. So Kathleen is Juliet's cousin, doesn't share in the Kai name. She's a Lang. And of course she... She's not actually Kathleen. She's <gasps> Celia. Yes. So Celia is a name that Kathleen chose for herself, but her father refused to use it because Kathleen was assigned male at birth. And when she began her transition, one of her sisters died, a sister by the name of Kathleen, and her father refused to call her Celia 
but she mm-hmm. but he did say i will call you kathleen because that is a name that i gave one of my children that is a name that i gave to them i will not call you celia because that is not a name that i gave and kathleen says you know what i'll fucking take it throughout the book she has been attending communist meetings to kind of like at first it's like under the ruse of like being a spy and kind of like uh fostering these relationships and maintaining these relationships but she has attended so many of these meetings that she starts to form a sense of community and a belief in the cause and when she leaves the scarlets forever she fully adopts the name celia and begins to identify with the communist party and it's kind of like this Mm -hmm. wonderful character arc that she takes and i'm so excited to see where she takes it in foul lady fortune because celia is going to be in that of course because celia is a character and as you like it anyway i just really adored that as well i adored that interpretation shakespeare's always gayer than people like to interpret it and this one was 10 out of 10. Uh, Well and I think other than the father it was really smoothly introduced into the story and with the rest of the family. I mean they all called her Kathleen so I mean there's that but. Mm -hmm. No and like Juliet was very accepting her sister Rosalind Mm -hmm. was very accepting. Uh, The first clue was uh, I believe in like the one of the first chapters where they're talking about this jade necklace that Kathleen wears and it says that she likes to wear it because it distracts from her Adam's apple. And I read that and I was like, wait a minute, are they? And then I kept reading and I was like, they did. And I don't know. I thought it was good transfer. It didn't give any power to the dead name. Yeah. Literally other than the father, there were no problems. No, exactly. It wasn't that I noticed anyway. We talked about this in cemetery boys. (laughs) It wasn't an exercise in trauma porn. So I, really adored it unlike shatter me my enemy where they introduced a trans character essentially just to be transphobic against her yep which was terrible anyway <laughs> moving on from that we love celia can't wait to see we what she's celia. gonna do i will be buying foul lady fortune on september 27th as you should do you have any topics you'd like to discuss about this book mine was the ending which whether they were alive or not that was that was my thing do you have any other thing no (laughs) i like the open-endedness of it all but i do think it was kind of like an attempt to like kind of subvert the tragedy that happens at the end because romeo and juliet is a tragedy i know uh, no (laughs) because because the audiences were like you don't 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 be too married to the idea that they both die at the end like please don't feel like you have to stick with it and then she was like and then was like or did they no because i think if she had killed them off I would have been done for like (laughs) I I was halfway through reading the first book and I was like wait a minute this is a retelling (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute I know how this ends (laughs) exactly and I was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh but it was too late at that point and I was like oh well I'll be fine (laughs) no like that was the feeling I had when Tyler shot uh Marshall in the hospital I was like, yeah. oh, and there he goes. I was like, I'm sad. I'm so sad, but I know it had to happen. And then Juliet like put the nail in his coffin, and I was like, oh, and that hurts. <laughs> ah. uh. It was literally like the Hunger Games half the time, but Juliet was mean, definitely like the, the winner. Games? Yeah. No, well, Juliet mean, was like out the there killing games? everybody. You had like twelve characters. She was. Oh, yeah. She was offing them all off. Juliet was <laughs> fucking unhinged. And then at the end, at the end, are Katniss and Pina, aka Juliet and Roma, (laughs) went up together. You know, I don't. Did you just say that Romeo and Juliet copied the Hunger Games? (laughs) 
Because I no, think it's it more be, of the other way around. It would be the Hunger Games. I'm gonna have to say Romeo that and Juliet. I'm gonna have to say that Suzanne <laughs> but Collins the likeness, might have taken a the likeness kind of is there. The, the ending, is there. though. Okay, but the ending of Juliet and Roma supposedly dying together was the likeness more to the Hunger Games than to Shakespeare. So. Well, I, again, think that's the product of giving Juliet more agency. I think it was necessary, and I liked it, and I believe that they're alive. So, there. I believe that they retired to the countryside, and they're peacefully sailing down the river in a boat. Although, frankly, rude of them not to wave at Alyssa. <laughs> Though, all I have to say is that Celia seemed pretty confident in her answer that Roma was proud of her. Because Celia took- You think uh, Celia knows something? I do think Celia knows something. I think Juliet was like, hey, bestie, I'm alive. I like that you think that Juliet would tell Celia, but Roma would not say a word to Alyssa. (laughs) (laughs) The double standards. Juliet's like, you can't tell anyone. And then she's like, hey, by the way, Celia, (laughs) just so you know. Actually, I think it would be, I think it would be more like Celia would hunt them down, you know? And be like, I knew it! And Juliet be like, um, we're having brunch. Can you not? <laughs> no, because Celia <laughs> loves to fucking spy. Celia is such a little spy. She would figure it out, like, so fast. She's very right. good at what she does. That said, so was Alyssa. So, I don't know. Maybe Alyssa was just but too young. The only difference is Alyssa wanted to believe that it was them. She didn't want to have that hope dashed by actually spying and finding out whether it was true or not so I get why she didn't spy and try and figure it out Mm -hmm. but I think Celia would have been like fuck this I'm gonna get an answer very good very very good I love it okay also these covers are gorgeous the covers are this is the part of the episode where we talk about the covers the covers are gorgeous (laughs) Uh because this is all I know how to talk about like a wild book pity (laughs) look look at shiny (laughs) No, okay. Shiny on inside. The hardcover, right? The of the first book, they covered the sword and the rose in silver, right? Right. Second book, they didn't do that. I noticed. It didn't. It's it. it, Oh my god! It was like it. It was. (laughs) It was like we had the flame all over again. Why is the first one colored and the second one not? You're angry about this. I'm fine. I'm fine. She's fuming, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I'm saying is I like consistency on the pretty covers. If you're going to have a pretty cover for the first one, continue it with the second. You could like gild it yourself with gold leaf, I bet. Are you kidding me? I would ruin that. I wouldn't. Ship it over. Okay, I remember the time that you had my book for nine months because you wouldn't ship it to me. Anyway, I told you I, I would pay for it, so that's not happening. Uh, <laughs> Honor. Yes. Would you like but, to move on to ratings? I would. That would be fun. If you're new here, the categories for ratings are plot, character, prose, world building, and vibes. We will rate each category out of five, tally them up, and average them out mm-hmm. for a total star rating. For this mm-hmm. book series. Mm-hmm. Honor, would you like to go first? I would. Okay, I will go first. So the plot, I mean, we knew it going in, but I think Miss Gong pulled a plot twist on us. So plot twist upon plot twist. 
plot twist upon plot twist. She was like, you think this is how it's going to work out, but actually it works out slightly differently. Surprise. So I'm going to give her a five out of that because she did shock me and I appreciated that. She's shocked and delighted. Right? Violently delighted. (laughs) 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 Um, Characters we knew, we loved. Um, Marshall was my favorite. Honestly, everyone did they, what they were supposed to do. I either loved or I hated them, or it was like a little bit of a mix. So five. Pros. I feel like it was really well written, um, especially given like, like I said, you can either read it really in depth or you can read it just face value and either way is going to be good. It's going to give you something to think about. It's going to give you something to enjoy. I think it's well written for a young audience and it's especially written in a way where it allows you to really think through everything if you want to. So, and I didn't even pick up on the whole, uh, the whole changing of past tense versus present. So five stars. I mean, come on. World building. Did she technically build earth? No, but I felt it. (laughs) I do think it was really well um, added with the addition of the monsters into like even just the the realism of our earth um and then the fact that she just had the blending of the different worlds of of the different gangs the communists the foreigners all of that I think it was exceptionally well done I think everything seemed realistic again even though there were monsters five stars I don't know how shocked you're going to be on this one but the vibes were there five stars well, I don't have to divide that up at all, Honor. That's fives yeah. across the board. That That's is a five-star rating for the violent delight. deserved. I, no, I thoroughly enjoyed these. I was sucked in the entire time. And even, again, like I have read Romeo and Juliet before, this changed it up enough that I wasn't like, oh, it's the same old thing all over again, you know? And I think it's so well written for a modern audience to enjoy and love this classic retelling so five stars i have no problems with these books no beef no beef. just chicken honor i am gonna echo that sentiment and i am gonna give it fives across the board oh my god wait that's that is that the first one we've both given five stars for i think so i think that's the first one that we've been unanimously fives across the board i mean oh my god i'm just kidding Uh, (laughs) i the plot like you couldn't have put it better like i couldn't have put it better than myself than how you put it like we knew what was Mm -hmm. coming but she still managed to delight and astound us with the plot twist that kept happening like i kept she made it her own she Mm -hmm. made it her own and the characters were part of that because shakespeare's stories are largely character driven i i adored the characterization and the reinterpretation of these characters from uh, the liberties that she took in terms of like lgbt representation mm-hmm. uh kind of the agency that she gave juliet uh even kind of like transferring the values of tybalt to tyler and how by placing them in these new settings like how we watch the changes in their characters like grow and flourish in this new environment pros you know how I feel about the prose. This was amazing. This was beautifully written. It was like just metaphorical enough to not be pretentious about it. Just phenomenally written, ingeniously even. World building, it is Earth, but the level of research that you need to create a place on Earth like this, Mm -hmm. both historic and just kind of like being there because 
in her in her little author's blurb on the flap, it says that she has family in Shanghai. So I'm assuming she takes like a lot of fucking trips to Shanghai because she grew up in New Zealand, which is less than it's like a shorter flight than, you know, it would be for us to Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Crazy how that works. Crazy how that works. It is so intelligently researched and molded and you can just like feel how smart she is just exuding from the page and how much she cares very deeply about this melding like this melting pot of worlds that she's created you know so five out of five for world building obviously vibes you know the vibes were there she nailed it she nailed the 20s culture she nailed the political climate of the time she nailed the romance flies across the board chloe how could you rate her lower Exactly. I, yeah. I have to have my fellow Chloe's backs. Yeah. And <laughs> she delivered. What can I say? What's her birthday? Is she a Capricorn? I don't know. Google uh, it. I wonder. I wonder if I can Google this. <laughs> She's a Sagittarius. She was born on December 16th, but we're both December birthdays. Oh my God. That's so cute. We have to be besties. One day, one day I'll be her bestie. Maybe she'll <laughs> like another one of my comments on TikTok and then she'll notice me for sure. You know what? I think is the best part about both of us rating this five stars and this being what? our first double five star read because it's about a blood feud and we always fight over everything but not about this yes but <laughs> it's also our last episode of the season of our <gasps> first year oh my god that's of, so right of our podcast we have been doing this that is right folks for a full year 52 we weeks for well, um 20 20- 25 full episodes, one mini-sode, and next week we'll make 26. Uh, And we are going to do something a little bit special. Honor, you want to talk about that? I do. Okay, so we decided it would be fun to do an award show, or rather an awards podcast, for our year of books. So we are going to have different categories, favorite book boyfriends, favorite overall book. I wonder what that's going to be. Things like that. We had a few five-star reads. (laughs) We did, but we had a double five-star read. So. <laughs> but we're going to have all of that in one glorious episode to cover all of the books that we read this year and just have a good time, a good season finale, if you will, and then start up with the second year of reads. Exactly. It's going to be kind of like kickback vibes, very conversational. Uh we might get a little like introspective, a little behind the scenes as we like kind of talk about our process, what we might change going forward, mm-hmm. what we've learned in the uh, first year of podcasting on this crazy wild ride of what it's been like to kind of like maintain our friendship over our opinions on books. And long distance podcasting. <laughs> long distance podcasting. What a joy. What we don't a have a friendship, joy. by the way. Anyway. <clears throat> oh yeah, we hate each other. We hate each other. <laughs> So if you guys have any categories for awards you would like us to give out to any books or if you have suggestions or if you just want any questions that you have for us to answer, like let us know. We will have our Spotify suggestion box open. Drop in whatever you feel like. We can discuss it in the next episode. And if you're not listening to this on Spotify, drop it on our other social media. Chloe, you want to take that over? Yeah. So we have social media. It's this cool new thing (laughs) where we post pictures and sometimes videos of what we're reading. And Uh, sometimes we we do it the week we actually read it. (laughs) Not lately, though. Uh, (laughs) We have Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. 
which we need to upload more on. Mostly it's just podcast episodes. So if you're listening to it here, you're probably not going to watch it on YouTube. Uh, however, it is an option, but not for this one yet. Uh, <laughs> our handles are all at young adult adult reviews. If you are curious about the art that we're posting, that is book photography. Uh, give us a follow and a like, and you can also drop suggestions there. Yes, so we always look through all of our comments, everything like that. Usually it's promoted on this page, and we ignore those. <laughs> yeah, we do ignore them. But the devil we works love hard, reading. <laughs> but those promoted on this page works harder. Like, they're, anyone they're like podcast half a second in, about. and they're literally, we're they're like, oh my God, we got a comment. Promote it here. <laughs> anyway. But we do read our actual suggestions and we have implemented quite a few of those throughout this year and we're looking forward to reading some more throughout the coming year yeah and um, season two so is gonna be so exciting and if you haven't drop if you dropped a suggestion and you haven't had it read yet don't worry it is on a list sometimes life gets in the way and some of the suggestions you've listed are really long but some we suggestions... might even mm-hmm. we oh, might even ahead. have a category of our favorite suggestion that's so true. I think we do. We have right? read a bun- enough books for that to be like a category. Uh, yeah. Books suggested uh, that we've done episodes on in the past include Shatter Me, Sky Hunter, uh, Fallen. That said, if you do suggest a book <laughs> series, I hope you're thick skinned because we are ruthless about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> eh, I- anyway, we'd also appreciate uh, if you gave us a like on whatever podcast platform you are listening on right now. Uh, give us a five star rating or, you know, just an honest one. We appreciate anything. Uh, we come to you hat in hand, uh, asking for your humble approval. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening thank to our you. unsolicited opinions on literature. Uh, it has been so much fun this year. It has been. We've had so much fun. Uh, but we'll get into that to each other during the awards show. Yeah, we'll we'll get into it. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> that is a wrap that's a wrap that was a good one that was a good one yeah that was solid that was a good that was a solid ending